0: Let me pray for us. Oh, God, you are worthy of all blessing and honor and glory. You are worthy because even before you acted in this world and in this universe, even before you did anything for us or to us, you are worthy. And it is because you are worthy and because of your holiness that we are so grieved at our sin against you. That we, your very creation, the ones who are meant to reflect you and and give you the honor and the glory you deserve, we have failed you. God, it is devastating that we would do that to you. That we are under a curse of the law. And yet you have made a way. Would you open our hearts to worship you even as we hear from you this morning. In Christ's name, amen. If you want to turn to Galatians chapter 3. See one of the effects, the main effects of the cross. Of what did Jesus die for? What did it accomplish You know the account of the Good Friday, the unjust trial of Jesus, the abuse of Jesus, the innocent man, the false allegations, the, the um, lies and slander, the mob mentality it was brutal towards Jesus that day. And yet he never hurled one insult, never stopped it, never rejected what was to happen? He did it because it would accomplish all that it would accomplish, not just for us, but for his glory. For his glory. Because what he did at the cross repairs what we had broken. The, 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 the war that we created within our hearts, the, the, the reconciliation we needed, he did something to fix it. He brought us to God. Here in Galatians chapter three, Paul is rebuking the Galatians. At the beginning of the chapter, he says, uh, "Because let me just turn the screen." He's rebuking his Galatians because he says, "Why are you so foolish that you know that you would come to faith in God through?" through faith alone, that you would come to a relationship with God, that you would be saved alone by by grace alone. And he says, but now you're living like you only get to keep up that relationship by the law and that you'll only get to heaven by the law. He says, why are you so foolish? Who has messed with you? Who has bewitched you? And then he lays out again the reminder of how we're justified once and for all. It is not through our obedience to the law. Was through Christ. But he in order to bring that point to bear on these foolish Galatians, he mentions this curse of the law. Look at Galatians chapter 3 verse 10. For it says, "For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be Everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us. As it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. There it begins that portion with saying, All who rely on verse 10, all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. They're under a curse because it goes on. Everyone who doesn't abide by all things and do everything in the law is separated from God. You are cursed from God. You are counted as uh, wicked and far off from God. You are damned if you do not keep the whole law. So it's a curse to say, well, I'm going to try to live under the law and I'm going to obey the law. And that's the way I'm going to have a right relationship with God. If you believe that, you're cursed. There is no hope for you. So don't, he's correcting these Galatians. Don't try to live that way. Don't try to think that you can just do the law and you're good and you're safe. If you just do enough good things, don't be so foolish because you need to keep all the law. Do every ounce of the law. Perfectly If you rely on the works of the law, it says, you're under a curse." Well, what is that curse? Well, the wages of sin is death, hell, separation from God for eternity. If you rely on the works of the law, well you are a sinner. The law condemns you. Every day you do not do what pleases God. And so if you rely on that, You are literally nailing your own coffin together. You are cursed because the law says uh, you deserve your wages. And you know what you worked for? Death and separation from God. Even your most righteous deeds are as filthy rags before him. You are unrighteous. No one is good. No, not one. Because not everyone is, not anyone except for Jesus has kept The law of God perfectly. So that's why it's a curse to try to live under the law. It only has one end death. It only has one end separation from God. It only has one end the wrath of God on every one of your sins felt by you for all of eternity. It's a curse. It is not a way you want to go. And so here, he's saying that to them, reminding them of that, to not live under the works of the law because it is a curse for you. It is no hope for you. And that's why he says in verse 11, it is now evident that no one is justified before God. You will not stand before God and say, I'm good to get in, right? Because I'm justified with all the good I've done. He said, well, based on the law, is that what you want to go on? No. What about these 4,000 infractions you committed in the last year? You're not justified. So verse 11 just reminds the people, reminds us, we are not justified. We are not made right before God because of the law or because of doing right things or good deeds. By our own actions, we are not ever justified before God. It says, the righteous shall live by faith. Shall live by faith. Trust in him, reliance on him, not reliance on the law, reliance on him. Verse 12 says, the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. So if you do the law and you want to live by the law, then you shall live by them and not living by faith. You have to live by meticulous keeping of the law. And you see the Pharisees living by them. They're trying to live by every little rule, but yet forgot the ones of the heart. And so they were not justified before God, no matter how much their external uh, religious experience looked really perfect. They were not justified before God. They were accursed because of the law that they tried to keep. They would not place their faith in Him. Instead, they placed it in themselves. They placed it in their law-keeping. But even though that's bad news, that we are all accursed because of the law, that all of us who have sinned against God We'll be uh, punished for that sin. Our sin is is racking up a debt. It's something that God needs to enact justice upon. His wrath needs to come upon all of our sin. That's the bad news. But the good news is, is in verse 13. Christ redeemed us. He redeemed us from the curse. He rescued us. From the curse. It was as though the curse was our slave master. And Christ redeemed us. He paid the slave price. But that price wasn't just monetary. It wasn't just Jesus' righteousness. It was a substitute. And it was atonement. He redeemed us. From the curse of the law by... Becoming the curse for us. He didn't just say, all right, well, my righteousness should do. Here, take some of my righteousness on their behalf. That should pay the bill, Father, O judge. Here, look at all of my righteousness. Will you just accept that? That wasn't enough. God's justice meant that sin had to be punished. And so Jesus then went before the judge... The earth grew dark, and the judge looked on Christ as one who was cursed, one who would face death and separation from the favorable presence of God. That the wrath of God would pour out on that sin that day. If you trusted in him, your sin was on him, and he was accursed for you. He faced death and wrath, he became a curse. For us. And then it says there, interestingly, at the end of verse 13, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. In the Old Testament, it was against the Levitical law to, even if you'd nailed someone to a tree or someone was hanging in a tree, to leave them there overnight. It was, they called it a curse. It was a curse. Cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. Well, what tree did Jesus hang on but the cross? Two wooden beams. And he hung there, cursed. Not cursed before men. He was still innocent. He was still innocent. Every single moment of his life, he was innocent. Until he took our sin upon himself before the Father, and then he was counted as guilty. More guilty than you will ever be. And for everything that you will never know. He became a curse for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 famously says it this way. uh, He made him who knew no sin. He was innocent. He made him who knew no sin. To be sin on our behalf. He stood as the sin. As as, as our record of wrongs on our behalf. So that we might become the righteousness of God of God. He hung not before men as guilty, but before God as the guilty one. He took our sin upon himself. He became a curse for us. Hebrews 9.28 says, Christ, having been offered, wants to bear the sins of many. He bore the sins. Or 1 Peter 2 22, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you were healed. You were healed of that sin sickness, the very thing that that kept you as a leper from God and kept you outside the camp and kept you unwelcome in the family of God, that sin that plagued you Controlled everything you did. It touched everything. It ruined everything you did. It never had good motives. It was always robbing God of His glory. And Jesus healed us of that by becoming that for us, by becoming sin for us on our behalf before the Father. Isaiah 53. Speaking of the coming Messiah, speaking of Jesus, uh, waiting and anticipating for this Messiah, gives an account of his his passion, his crucifixion. Isaiah 53, verse 5 and 6 and beyond says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement was upon him him and by his wounds by his scourging we are healed all of us like sheep had gone astray each one of us turned to his own way but the lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him to fall on him verse 13 says christ redeemed us that's the good news but he did it at a cost. The cost of he himself becoming a curse for us. He substituted. He swapped places with us so that the the, the penalty for our sin would be on him. The fancy term for it is substitutionary or penal substitutionary atonement. He was penalized as a substitute and an atonement. For God for us. That's the only way our sin is off of our record. If there was no substitute for sin, as Paul says, if there was no substitute for sin, we are to be most pitied. But there was. There was. We are not left to try to keep the law. We're not left to say, all right, Jesus saved me originally, and I believe in faith that I just trusted in him. But now, I've got to keep up this law so that I can keep right with God or else I'm not getting to heaven. Don't be foolish like the Galatians. But instead, remember that the curse has been dealt. The wrath has been poured out to the very last drop. When Jesus cried, it is finished. The wrath of God had been satisfied. The wrath was satisfied for your sin and mine. And for anyone who has not yet trusted in Christ, the wrath remains. Romans says we are heaping up wrath against ourselves. One day it will be poured out. It was either poured out on Jesus or it will be poured out on us for all of eternity. And the only way to ensure it's not poured out on us is to stop relying on the law. To stop looking to our good deeds. To stop looking to our religion and our, our own self. And to by faith trust that He became the curse for us. Grieve that. The perfect, innocent Son of God stood before the Father condemned because of our sin so that we might be free. Further down in Galatians in chapter 4 it says this, starting at verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And, and because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We are co heirs with Christ. Some an incredible, precious, pro, like that passage there, verses 4 to 7 of Galatians 4, speaks of so much Jesus coming, redeeming us from under the law, freed, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Sons are the heirs, and that's why the language is masculine. We are all sons in that sense. We are the heirs of his kingdom. The heirs of his promises. And we, since we have the spirit of his son in our hearts, we get to cry, Abba, Father. We have a precious and beautiful relationship with the Father. Even though we had sinned against him, we had spit in his face for who knows how long and said, You're not worthy. You're not worthy. My sin is more worthy of my heart's affection and my time. And, and this world, I would love this world more than I love you. You're not worthy. And yet, we get to call him Father. And he hears us as his precious son. He says, I love you and I'm pleased with you. Not because of you, but because of what Christ did on your behalf and in your place. It's amazing to see what Jesus accomplished for us, that we may come to the father who we offended and continue to offend, and we get to call him father in such a precious and intimate way where we get to crawl up on his lap and say, God, I need you as my dad. I need you as my father. This does not negate reverence for God, but it does mix it with intimacy with God relationship and union with God, family ties with God, all because the curse that we were under has now been not removed, but done away with because of Jesus. He dealt with it. He didn't brush it on the rug or put it aside or or, um, pay off a bribe. He actually took the curse for us. The wages of our sin, every single one, Jesus took it all. It's an incredible gift to see what he accomplished for us, ultimately our adoption. Our adoption. That we who were once far off, we who were once blind, we who were once dead, are now alive and near and family. It's incredible to see what Christ accomplished at the cross. What he did for us. The greatest sacrifice that had ever been made in all of history was that day. The day that we call Good Friday. That's why we call it good. Because for those who believe, for those who trust, for those who live by faith, who place their, their whole trust on this, we're justified. And that is good. That's why it's a good Friday. It is a gruesome Friday. It is wrong in every sense. It should have been me before the wrath of God. It should have been you. And we would never be able to stand. And it would be all for all of eternity, the wrath poured out. I I can't fathom. And all of that was on Jesus that day. The wrath of heaven satisfied. What a lonely moment for Christ. What an agonizing pain that he felt in his his breaking of unity with the Father. In the sense that when he became sin for us, there was a, a break, a silence, a distance. It's so... Heart-wrenching to think of their perfect union, the relationship between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit for eternity past. And yet, because of our sin, what He took on Himself, what He did, but yet, through it all, we not only get adoption as sons, forgiveness of sins, hope for the future, hope for today, but God, through every ounce of that, gets the glory. Because, Because all that we brought to the table was a defamation of God's character. But all that was done that day was glory to him, fame to his name and his renown. So, as much as it was the most gruesome and wrong day it was one of the most God-glorifying days when a when a person and then when a person in this life recognizes that day, recognizes what happened at the cross. That is the one of the most God-glorifying things that can happen on this planet Earth. Is a person who was once spitting in God's face now on their face, humble before the cross, saying, "You are worthy." What a beautiful thing for us and for the glory of God at the cross. Our response is gratitude. Our response is a a deep hatred of sin. And a deep love for our Savior. Let me pray for us. God, what a gift. What a gift that you did not have. and, And you didn't at all negate your justice. You didn't sweep it aside. You didn't say, I'll let you off. You didn't accept a bribe. You didn't look the other way. But instead, your wrath in all of its weight, in all of its anger and disappointment towards our sin, towards our treason, was poured on the Son. Thank you. Thank you that we now are freed. We are no longer slaves. That we are sons. God, what a blessing. I pray that our hearts would overwhelm with gratitude and that would transform uh, not only how we live but how we talk and how we hope and how we plan and really how how we live every moment of our lives no matter what happens what goes on around us that we would remember all that was accomplished that day through christ for his glory and also our good thank you for the cross it's in christ's name we pray amen